In the following live session recording, Marty Godfrey, executive pastor with Burt Hickory Baptist Church in Powder Springs, Georgia, leads in the session entitled Raising Leaders. The top problem in every church is raising up and recruiting new leaders. The listener of this session will come away with a tangible plan that is simple to implement and will result in new leaders stepping up and into service through your Sunday school. Let's join Marty now. So that's good. Uh, let's see, let me tell you a little bit about who I am. Uh, it's a rerun uh, for, I've had three of you. Okay, so most of you are new. Now, uh, let's see, this is my family. I've got three kids. That's my oldest one, Matthew. And uh, he's married. He's a state farm agent. He's got uh, three little girls, my granddaughters, Becky, my wife, and Christopher, 30-year-old, and Stephanie, 27-year-old. And so that's my grandbaby. She just turned one yesterday. So we had, uh, had fun with her yesterday. Hey, I am a hillbilly, okay? So I am north of the Nat line. Well, you're up there too now. So, but uh, I'm actually from a suburb of Blue Ridge named McKaysville. And uh, nobody used to know where it was. And now some people have cabins in Blue Ridge. The trains, everybody taking the train from Blue Ridge to Caseville Copper Hill. When they first started that, we were like, oh, we're so embarrassed because <laughs> they took them to McKaysville Copper Hill, which is one town, Tennessee, Georgia. And uh, it's like, ain't nothing to do when they get there. So anyway, all the merchants would, you know, try their best to, uh, to get ready for them. And, and, you know, the people would get off the train. It's like, biggest thing to do was to stand, I don't know if y'all did it, to stand where the sign was that says, you know, Tennessee and Georgia, so you could stand in two states, get your picture taken. After they did that, they were ready to get back on the train. <laughs> I think, I don't know. <laughs> They did? Did you find some ice cream? Yeah. Hey, listen, somebody from uh, Pensacola, he had started a software company. He bought downtown McKaysville uh, this last fall for a third of a million dollars. Bought the hotel, the downtown. So we now have, uh, so he put in an upscale steakhouse on the river there. He says he thinks it could be bigger than Blue Ridge because we have the river going there. And uh, so... Anyway, but I'm from up there, and I love trout fishing, getting out in the mountains. And um, so these are my boys. I had a birthday a couple weeks ago, and they, they uh, took me out to barbecue, which is one of my hobbies. So that's Williamson Brothers Pit there behind you in Marietta. And I found out, though, that you get your birthday meal free, so they didn't really treat me to it. <laughs> I didn't have to pay for them. That was a good thing. So, uh, anyhow... And uh, then here, what are you cringing for, man? What? So, what, what colors do you wear? Gamecock, garnet black. Oh, okay. Well, you don't have much to cheer for, so that's right. We'll feel sorry for you. Uh, all right, so anyway, I just finished 15 years there. That's the chairman of Deacon. They uh, honored me with some stuff, and they gave me season tickets to the games this year. So, I don't know where South Carolina is on there. I don't think we play them in, oh, yeah, in Athens. Yeah. Y'all come to Athens? Okay. Well, we play Notre Dame. So, that's good. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> so we're Bulldogs. I used to work for the phone company uh, for a number of years. 
So I do have background, undergraduate in accounting, MBA in finance, and uh, was, a, was a director of Bell South uh, in Atlanta. And God called me to vocational ministry. So I started out at Eastside Baptist in Marietta as Minister of Education and Church Growth, and then about seven years, and then uh, Burn Hickory Baptist called me out in West Cobb and be executive pastor out there. So I've had a, had a great time of it. I still, I love Sunday school. Becky and I, my wife and I, love to teach young married couples. I believe God wants me to pour into young couples this season in my life. So I've always, I've taught um, Sunday school young adult classes since I was one. So I've been teaching about, um, well, uh, 30, 32 years I've been, I guess, teaching uh, Sunday school. And I love it. I want that put on my, my uh, tombstone. Uh, Sunday school teacher. So that's one of my favorite times. Other than coach, when I used to coach my kids when they were growing up, it's kind of fun. Um, let's see, I come from a small town, um, McKaysville Small Church, who used to run 100 on a good Sunday, Kingtown Baptist. Daddy was Sunday school director. That's why I'm so partial to Sunday school directors. And uh, so I had a love of Sunday school from the get go. Mother played the piano and the uh, organ, they, she swapped with another lady. I guess every year, whatever they could do, either one. But mother always taught uh, Sunday school, probably my whole life. And uh, so anyway, I had a great heritage of that. The uh, so I'm at Burn Hickory now. Uh, great church, loved it. And um, so executive pastor, you know what that is? That's in the last ten years, that's become more popular. So as you as you grow, the senior pastor. You want him to focus on what he's good at, and he's typically, uh, at least this one was not gifted with uh, leadership administration of the whole staff and stuff. And so that's in my wheelhouse, so all the pastors report to me. So I got my seminary degree. I don't, I'm not the business administrator. I've got a guy who does that, who has his MBA. And if I wanted to do business, I'd just stay in business and kept my stock options moving over into, into ministry. So I love ministry, and I love Sunday school as the basis of it, and uh, leadership development. I already caught who you were. Uh, let me throw this one out. What do you hope to get out of this breakout? Why did you choose this one? What do you hope to get out of it? Okay. Some teachers and stuff, okay. Good. Sunday school director, that's on your plate. It's good. Mentioned about people in my Sunday school class to take leadership roles to, to be prayer leaders and you know, care, care with leaders and stuff right. like that. Okay, good. Good. How about you guys? Pastors? I think uh, for me, uh, we have an influx of newer couples. So yeah. They look guys are willing to let go of the reins so just to get them gripped and ready to go. Okay. The younger couples, to help develop them, that's good. Okay. What else? That's what I, I need Sunday school teacher. Do you? And uh, we've got people in the church that have taught, yep. but now they won't teach anymore. We're taking the sabbatical, huh? Yeah. We just need to raise up some new ladies and yeah, teachers. That's right. That's right. That's probably.
probably, I would say, the number one challenge in churches is developing new leaders. That's the number one challenge, I would say. Well, what we're going to do is I want to go over kind of seven steps, and we'll, we'll identify that. Hey, one thing, growing up, I was a huge uh, Green Bay Packer fan. Uh, my dad and I made that one. So uh, I remember I'm just old enough that I remember watching Bart Starr with Packers. Any of y'all remember that? Yes. Some of you guys are too young. You've seen Brett Farr, though. Same team. A little bit later. Okay. Hang with us. Okay, so anyway, what I want to do is, you've heard of this guy, right? Vince Lombardi, okay? That's the Lombardi Trophy is named after him. That's the winner of the Super Bowl. So Vince was a great winner. And so I want to get some lessons from football. I figure, hey, if any of y'all from Statesboro, this is, this is football country, right? And, uh, of course, any of y'all from Statesboro in this group? One? Okay. Well, good. Uh, we have one Gamecock fan, okay? <laughs> okay. Well, Vince Lombardi always started out a season by holding up a game ball and slowly saying, gentlemen, this is football. It's the same thing, y'all remember um, uh, UCLA, you know, their famed coach, again, before your time, except you guys. What was his name? John Wooden. And John Wooden started every, uh, every season teaching the guys how to put their socks on. So uh, the basics, the basics. So what we want to do, and I've given you uh, some handouts here if you care to take notes, is that um, I believe that the Sunday School is the incubator of uh, all leadership development in your church. Um, That's just what I believe. I believe that the Sunday School, the way that we... um, the way that we look at Sunday school, it is not an organization of the church. It is the church organized, right? The difference, the nuance there. It's not one of the organizations of the church. It is the church organized. Therefore, that's where your leaders are going to come from, is within your, your Sunday school. So they're there. Um, so the purpose of the Sunday school, we have to remember, is to make disciples. We can't lose sight of that, is to make disciples. And uh, so if that's the role we're in, then what is a disciple? Is somebody that loves the Lord, they live the Word, they serve the body, and they live on mission. That's a definition at least we're going to use for discussion purposes. So they have a great love of the Lord. They don't just know the Word, they live it out. They're using their spiritual gifts to serve the body. And they're living on mission, knowing that um, they're living out the Great Commission. So that's the first, uh, first of the seven steps. Second one is understand my role. Now, the good thing is that uh, the role is absolutely the same for pastors, Sunday school teachers, and Sunday school directors. So that's pretty cool how God did that in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. In that, we see that Christ Himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip His people for works of service. Um, I, I spent a lot of time in the, in the previous training uh, discussing how that that is probably, um, since I've gone into ministry, 
that I've seen is probably the uh, greatest flaw of, of pastors is that there's something inside of us when we signed up to go into ministry was to do ministry. And so um, equipping others for ministry. In other words, our job is actually to give our ministries away, to equip others to do it. And I'll be honest, that's the hardest part for me of ministry because I get joy out of doing those things. But if we're doing those things, number one, we're uh, in conflict with what God says is our role. He does clearly say to senior pastors that the role is what? It's the reason we have deacons today. If you go to Acts 6. Preach. Yep. Preach. That's right. Devoting yourself to the Word and to prayer. And so um, you're not just developing leaders so that you don't have to do things and you have time to do, uh, prepare to preach and pray. You're doing it to fulfill. But actually, here's, here's the reason. He says it right here in 12. He says that, uh, that He gave us to equip His people so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So really, the more people that we equip the right way, it should increase the unity and the maturity of our congregations. And, and that's not done just by the spoken Word of God. That is done by teaching the Word, but then helping them to love the Lord, to live out the Word, to serve the body, and to live on mission. So that's really our goal. That's our end goal is to do that. Um, you, it, it takes more people around you um, like whoever you're, if you have Sunday school director, if whomever, you need to have a close group of guys. You know, Jesus modeled it. He had the, uh, the apostles that were the, uh, the disciples who were closest to Him, and then He had the 12, and then, and then the 120. And so He could pour Himself in, in the disciple-making process, equipping them so that they could then equip others. And so it's very difficult for the pastor to just equip the whole church. Part of your message is to equip the church. But you've got to get the other guys because you've got to realize that the other guys, the Sunday school teachers and all, they're on your team helping you equip. So my role is to equip God's people to do His work. Now those were the days, weren't they? Well, this is probably, a, uh, this is probably an offensive line and he probably weighed 185 or something was six feet tall. <laughs> I watched this game. You know, high school football kicked off last night. Rome played Marietta. Marietta has six um, of the top recruits in the nation. That guy, apparently somebody's recruiting some players for him. So he had this quarterback he's building on. So he's got the number one tight end in the nation who's 6'5", 240 pounds. And it was like sending him out for a pass. It was like you know, you're standing there. And the defensive backs for Rome were like 5'9". You know, it wasn't. Anyway, okay. So 
No, our purpose of, of the church, not just Sunday school, make disciples. My role as a pastor and teacher and a Sunday school director to equip your people, actually I think I know, it's to equip your people to do God's work. The third step is that before you get people into leadership, you've got to identify the positions of service that you have that they can connect into. Now, one of the things that really bothers me about churches is that, and listen, I'm a, I had my 13-year perfect attendance pin growing up. I mean, I'm a, I'm a churchman, okay? But um, I've found that the principles that we used in business to succeed, that we don't, we check our brains out at the door at church. We have some of the guys in our church who are some of the smartest, most brilliant folks, but we don't use any of those. And so some of the principles, most of the, all of the successful principles that I used in business that were ethical, that worked, they came from God, the heart of God. Peter Drucker, the father of modern uh, management, uh, was a strong believer. Kenneth Blanchard, strong believer. Uh, the number one speaker today in the uh, corporate world, the number one author, John Maxwell, is a pastor. Uh, I'm just telling you, I had the top results always when I was in business, and it's because I used God's principles on my employee base and with my customers. And so I excelled in sales and in service. Sales because I worked at getting our people to identify the needs of the customer, taking and look and see what product services we had that would meet their needs. So it's needs-based. It wasn't just to meet a sales quota. And then you excel. Well, I found that in, uh, for example, at work, in, 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 in any organization, should be any organization, before I hire somebody, I've got to put something together other than an offer. What's that? Job description. It's 101. You've you got to know what your organization looks like, and then once you identify it, you have to come up with a job description. Why do you come up with a job description? That's right. Person for the job, and what else? Yep. Well, and number one, when you go to hire them, you say, this is your job. And it shows them what it is. Well, for some reason, we think in, in, uh, in the church, we can recruit somebody to do something, just assume they know what needs to be done. We don't even have ministry descriptions. That's 101 stuff. That's not secular. I mean, in fact, one of the things when I was putting this together, I started doing an, uh, a, uh, a study of Jethro talking to Moses. And that is a great discussion. He not only identifies... What Moses needed, he was the first, you know, management consultant in the Bible that's just recorded out there. You know, he goes in, he tells him what they need to do, what kind of person you need to look for for it, and then what Moses then needs to be able to do, and which ones get escalated to him, and so forth. So clear. That's what we need to have with leaders. So the first thing we've got to do, and listen, you can't give this to the nominating committee. I know when we're smaller, we have a nominating committee and we kind of expect them to work wonders. That, to me, is just almost passing the buck a little bit. Uh, but, so, identify the positions. For example, 
guarantee there is a depth chart on on every who's coaching Carolina now? Hothead, Hothead from uh, Georgia, Muschamp, Florida. Yeah, I guarantee you, on every coaches, he's got a depth chart of everybody at every position. Uh, one of the things. So what did I say? Identify the positions. Yeah. Um, I want to go to this. Let me let me come back to this. This is the coolest thing. Oh, come on, Marty. Ah, I must have taken that picture out. Okay, we'll get to it in a minute. Hang with me. All right. Okay, identify the positions. Now, a close study of Acts chapter 2 tells you what a healthy church looks like. Uh, it was instituted right there. Uh, Pentecost, Peter preached, 3,000 people came. And uh, so to add to the 120 who were hiding out in the upper room, scared to death, Holy Spirit comes down. Peter, um, the, uh, you know, they shall call him Peter the Baptist instead of John the Baptist. I was at this Sunday school party uh, in my subdivision, and this one guy just joined the ch our church. He was, uh, he was a new Christian, and we're standing there, and he's telling a neighbor of mine, he said, yeah, yeah, we as Baptists, you know, we don't, we don't drink. And he said, uh, and he said because uh, John the Baptist started our religion, and he didn't drink. <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, didn't go there. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> but Peter, on the other hand, he gave a formal invitation, and then he had, he had the apostles count them, so he could turn them in on his annual church profile, so they would count, and he actually made it into out, outreach magazines top ten. Fastest growing churches that year. It was amazing. So, but after they had the 3,000 people come together, that's when they had to figure out what to do with them. And this was the origination of Sunday school. The idea of small groups. Small groups, whether in homes or on campus as Sunday school. Same difference. They should have basically the same purpose. As we look at Acts chapter 2, 42, uh, beginning in 42, we see that after they did that, they started devoting themselves to apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking the bread, to prayer. There was a sense of awe, all the wonders and signs taking place. They had everything in common. They sold property, possessions to give to anybody who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So here's what happened. Is that those 3,000 came and right off the bat they had a big problem. Um, they didn't know how to assimilate them. Now, that's another reason actually, I'll be honest, I'm also kind of a process systems guy because like you need to know how you're going to reach your community. I'll be doing that session tomorrow. But then you got to know how to, once you do reach them, how do you assimilate them? How do you bring them to Christ, baptize, and then in your church, what is assimilation? Does assimilation mean that they, in, in my church, and what I believe Southern Baptists typically is if you can get them into Sunday school and build relationships right there, you've assimilated them because it's hard for them to come out. I watch churches that kind of, um, uh, there's one in, uh, there's one not too far from me, and it was a great church in its time. And it has uh, changed. And um, 
the uh, community has changed and they brought in a new pastor and he's trying to reach the community. And the old church hung on because of Sunday school. They would have all left if they didn't have those relationships in Sunday school. But that's why they, they held together through that period. So what happens uh, here is Sunday school was born, small groups were born because the 120, some people used their spiritual gifts because the Holy Spirit had just come down and uh, filled them. And so they decided what would be a great assimilation step would be to identify the people where the people, the believers lived and to see how to get those new believers into their homes. That was their assimilation step. And that was also, once they did that, they told the 120, they said, hey, you better fix a good meal too when you invite them because food will bring it. It's another reason we know it's a Baptist church. Peter probably told them that. Probably told them to make sure they had chicken on the menu. So anyway, and he baptized them. Baptizio by immersion. So strong Baptist roots right there, brother. It goes back to Acts chapter 2. That's right. And so they got into each other's homes. They were eating together, it says, having fellowship. And it says that as they got to know each other, they began determining needs that they had. And they, and of course, because of the Holy Spirit prompting them, it's like, you know, we need to come alongside them and help meet the needs they have in their lives. And uh, so, and, and, and some of the groups didn't have the most money. And so we're told in scriptures, they would sell some possessions to get the money so that they could bless their brother who had a need during that season. So it's very clear the role of the small groups versus when they met together for the apostles' teaching. They met for the apostles' teaching. They had the ordinances. They had the Lord's Supper. They had baptisms. And uh, they listened to teaching and they prayed, it says. But the others happened in small groups. Um, if you've been around church much at all, you know that it's agreed upon in theological circles that there are five functions in the church. Each are evident here in Acts chapter 2. You have worship, teaching, fellowship, ministry, outreach. Your church has all five of these. You have to. The question is, you know, how strong are you in those? How weak are you in those? But here's the key. Which ones of these are done um, in the large worship service versus being in the Sunday school class in the small groups. Well, we know that worship, if we mean corporate worship, then the time when we all come together is a big, is a big room. We know that teaching, uh, probably the most, um, the best teacher should be teaching pastor, bringing the message even though we teach in our Sunday school classes. Here's where we trip on ourselves. And I just met with a group of teachers before y'all. And when you get teachers, we've named them teachers. And it's teachers of Sunday school. So we have conveyed to them that their job is teaching, preparing a lesson and teaching a lesson. And somehow we have not adequately and listen I'm not throwing stones my main goal this year in my church is to take steps for my Sunday school teachers we call them life groups to understand that they are disciple makers not teachers and that's a big shift 
We've done it to ourselves. Teaching infers that I'm conveying information. But making disciples means a whole lot more. So, we know that this happens in big, big worship. This does too, but this also happens in small groups. These primarily happen through your small groups, through your Sunday schools. Should. Now, if you try to accomplish all of these church-wide and you don't do it through Sunday school, you'll never grow past 100, 110. It's about all. Because you're not doing it at the lowest relational level. You've got to drive it down to the lowest relational level. We're finding now in the megachurches that missions needs to be done on a Sunday school level. For ages, mega churches have done just like any other size church where they get up and they say, hey, we got a trip coming, going to Haiti. Everybody interested, show up out in this area after church service. And you'll have three or four people show up. We've found that if you drive missions down through your Sunday school classes and you engage them to where you give them opportunities locally, domestically, internationally, that they begin to rally and they'll encourage each other to go on things and then they'll also uh, help sponsor, the other folks in the class will help sponsor them to go on the things. And we're seeing around the country huge growth in missions going and giving because it's being pushed down through the Sunday school classes. Men's ministry, women's ministry, back in the 90s, late 90s, we started coming up. I'm not speaking against Brotherhood and WMU. I'd never do that. But one of the things that we evolved that we have to be careful of doing is creating silos in the church. I have an outreach team that goes out on visitation once a week. I have men's ministry here. I have women's ministry here. I have missions ministry here. I have whoever does our caring or whatever. And oh, by the way, Sunday school is one silo. And, and so all of a sudden, you've just kind of set yourself up. Like if you had a, uh, like in my last part of my uh, business, we, you know, you pay big bucks for these business consultants to come in. And uh, they basically tell you what your people know anyway. It's just that they wear a suit, carry a briefcase, and have to fly in, so they're experts. And they tell you what your people could already tell you. But they, if they came into today's church, they'd say, man, what kind of, what kind of organization are you running? I mean, what are your, you don't have any systems? Like, who's doing what? And like, you've got women in this class getting together here, but you have this one that says they're doing this for women. But then you've got people who know each other in Sunday school, caring for each other, but then you've got deacons that are supposed to really be caring for the families, but they're only visiting the families two or three times a year. They can't keep up with them. We're just kind of in disarray as to how we're doing a lot of our ministries. And so as a result, we're spinning our wheels. So what we've got to do is we have to be smart. And... Uh, we actually have people in our churches who are smart. I mean, like, I mean, you guys, you know, you may have gone to seminary. You may have somebody. Listen, I mean, he's a Sunday school teacher. He's a lawyer, okay? And probably a pretty good one because my college buddy was partners with him. So um, you got smart folks in your church. 
Um, bring them up. Of course, spiritual maturity, just because they're a banker, don't put them on the finance committee. Heavens no. Just because they're a successful entrepreneur, don't put them on personnel or whatever. If they don't have spiritual maturity, they'll just kill you. But nonetheless, you have to look and focus in on your small group strategy, Sunday school strategy. One of the reasons we've started losing it as Southern Baptists is we have lost this, this, the essence of Sunday school. We've made it all about teaching and nothing else. Well, let's move on. That's enough teaching. So in mine, for example, what I try to do, I try to take those four areas and I, so I renamed them life groups because I don't want people to see them as Sunday school. I'm going in and hearing the lesson for the week. I want them to see that life groups are, it's building a community of believers devoted to learning God's Word, that's teaching, involved in ministry, fellowship, and evangelism. So that's kind of a life across it. You can do better than that. That's just the what I did. I've changed my, I don't use the old font anymore like I used to, but I still kind of use that acronym. I put it up in all the rooms. I try to keep us focused that there are four areas that our Sunday school classes should be focused on. Four areas. And then what I do is I organize every Sunday school class around those four areas. I mean, this is just elementary organization type stuff. So you've got one, two, three, four. You've got four key areas. You always need to have a teacher in training. And uh, because you, you've got to think succession, you have to think multiplication of leadership base. Admin is a very important position as well. But then as you grow, you can actually grow your org chart that way if you want to. There's a different way you can grow your org charts. But if you realize that those are the four purposes of Sunday school, then you can, um, you, can, you can identify your positions. Remember, that's what we're talking about, identifying positions. If you don't know what positions that you have of leadership, like you need to have a book or a document that tells. In fact, I'm going to get to that. Because after you identify the positions, you need to define them. This is where you get into a job description. And, you know, I use the word ministry description because job description is secular. But uh, basically, you've got to tell what's expected. Now, look at this. This is Vince Lombardi's playbook. Is that not cool? Okay, uh, apparently you're not very excited about that. Okay. I thought that was pretty cool. That was, that's actually out of his playbook. And uh, so anyway, that's some of his plays and how he, how he set up. Well, bottom line, like here, here, like uh, so, so uh, this is my playbook. Like right here, that's, that's my playbook. That, that, and that's just for my adults. So that's what they have. In fact, I brought some. I, I don't mind sharing with you guys. Um, here you go, just you know, pass them. Y'all can take one. Listen, there's nothing special about them. And, uh, you know, in fact, you can copy whatever I have if you need the files of what I have, I'll be glad to shoot you a file and you can edit it to make your, your DNA, whatever. There is nothing original in church work. I copy it from others. People copy me. You know, Lifeway copies me sometimes. And, uh, but it's okay. It's all for the kingdom. So all this is, for example, I mean, if you look at that, it just has like, um, it has a little bit on leadership and then it has some org charts 
that, uh, which is a little bit different than what I just told you, because you have to make it for your DNA, you have to adapt it and so forth. I'm just giving you some examples. But it needs to have a job description in it. Uh, I'm not sure that job description came from that booklet. Anyway, I think that came from uh, my last uh, This is maybe the latest one, I don't know. And uh, so also, for example, I just ripped this off from another teacher, and I'm gonna go ahead and give them to y'all since y'all here. Alan Ralton, Ralton? Y'all know what his name is? Down at the end of the hall? Yeah. Anybody been to his? We, we just got it. Okay, let me get you to share until I make sure I got enough. I just uh, asked him if I could use his. <laughs> this is one that he put together. Um, this is one he put together. He put Lifeway's stamp on it, but he told me that basically he taught a uh, college parents, I guess it's empty nesters class, and he developed his org chart from that. So he just used an org chart that he put together for the class he taught of empty nesters. And uh, basically what he did was he just made some job descriptions. Okay? So, basic stuff, but don't expect that you can recruit until you put together a job description. One of the things I learned, let me just pass this along to, to you guys. When I was uh, in business, like when James Merritt asked me to be on the finance committee at First Neville, uh, cause, you know, got my MBA in, in finance and I'm a you know, you know, corporate executive and stuff, uh, I sat and I was a young guy, I sat down there and, you know, a business administrator gets the, the budget out there. And, and I'm ready to, like, you know, I got my calculator ready. I mean, I'm ready to do some stuff. And, you know, they're like, uh, well, here's this, 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 and this. And I'm like, well, hey, the music guy went over his budget. What are we going to do on that, you know? Student guy went over his budget on uh, summer camp. Good night. He just bankrupted us. What are we going to do about it? Why don't we get him in here to meet with us? And so the business administrator... Here's what I found out. They never sat down with me in advance and told me the role of a finance committee member. So whose fault is it that you have an issue with the deacons, the finance committee, the personnel committee, or whatever committee you deal with? So what I started doing is I, I know the profile of a really good, of a really good um, finance and personnel committee member. And, uh, and so I can tell you, uh, uh, if y'all want to know how to pick them, let me know. And because you, you got to, you, you need to, you're not getting yes, man. It's not that. It's just that we've made the mistake of thinking, okay, who's successful uh, in banking? Well, great, he can be on the finance committee. You know, we pick them like that. That is wrong. And then we don't tell them what's expected of them. And then they cause us headaches. And it's our own fault. Because we never explain to them what it is that we need from them in that role. It's very basic. And so once I started doing that at this church, I mean, we've more than doubled in size, but we have been so consistently steady in the health of our church. No blow-ups. The tenured staff is very tenured. Um, youth guy has been there 18 years. And uh, we just named him the new senior pastor following the guy who was there 32 years. And the other youth pastor's been there 12 years. We're moving, he's a middle school guy. We're moving him up to senior. 
to uh, to student pastor. Anyway, Barry, who's your minister of music now, he was with us for 21 years. Uh, so anyway, you just got to be smart. You got to be smart. So what are your positions? Define your positions. Come up with ministry job descriptions. And then the other thing is that I've found is document your ministry processes. Now everybody's brain doesn't work that way, so you need to get somebody's brain who works that way. For example, I am such a nerd when it comes to this, because before I came out of business, I was on this re-engineering team, and our job, we had 100,000 employees. They picked 12 of us from some different departments, and we worked with this high-powered group out of Germany to re-engineer the corporation. And, um, and really what we did was we came down and they, they taught us principles like every organization has systems. And as they did this, I'm just thinking, yeah, this is God's stuff, God's stuff, God's stuff. They said like, you know, every organization or organism will have six to eight systems, just like our bodies. How many does our body have? I don't know. I know we have respiratory and all those different ones, but that's the principles of God. So you can boil everything down to like the key uh, six to eight uh, strategies or systems, processes in the church. And uh, this is why McDonald's is so successful. McDonald's, I learned, is the number one restaurant in all the world because they can teach a uh, uh, minimum wage bozo how to follow their processes and make them so fail safe that the hamburger I eat or the french fries I eat here tastes the same as it does in Marietta and when I go to Ukraine on mission trips I eat at the one there on Independence Square and it tastes exactly the same. And people, different people make them. It's because their processes are so refined, they're structured and they have, that's why Japanese cars and manufacturing blew us away back in the 70s, 80s is because they had statistical control where they could keep their processes where there was very little difference between. Like what we were doing, <laughs> I'll, I'll finish on time. This was not anywhere in mind, but this is, to me it was fascinating. It's like our, our car, uh, GM and, and so forth, like the people on the assembly line, like while I was going along, you know, you got somebody putting on the tail lights and stuff. And uh, so what happens is they might put the tail light on the wrong way, and that's a defect. And so the way I got to study under this guy named Dr. Deming, and he was a Deming Award. He was, he was the one that went over to Japan after World War II, helped them recreate their factory and their school systems to be able to do this. He was brilliant. He was about 92 when I studied under him. But the Japanese... So Americans, they had all these defects on their cars. So what they'd do is they'd go in, they'd, they'd pull everybody in and say, okay, this week, zero defect week. If we can make it through this week, zero defects, we're going to bring in barbecue for everybody. We're going to give you everybody a ham to take home for the holidays. And then, lo and behold, they wouldn't they'd have defects. So what they did, the Japanese on the other hand, instead of trying to encourage their employees to do better, they only made the tail light to fit in one way. So you couldn't put it in wrong. They engineered it to where there's one way to go in. And they were just brilliant to where there's very little. 
Well, here's the thing is that my goal, I have identified like eight key systems or, or processes that every church has, whether they've thought through those or not. The first one is bridging to the community. And I'll be leading a group on it tomorrow. Bridging the community. If you don't bridge to the community, it doesn't matter how good your sermon is, what kind of style your music is, or whatever. You're not connecting with your community. You can't put a marquee out front, our Baptist brethren, that say, that say hey, y'all come, we're a friendly bunch. They're not going to come. You've got to build a bridge to them and go out and get them. So, you know, you start with like, I don't know, I'll give you all my email address. It's on that. I can actually shoot you a copy if you want to later. I can shoot it in graphical form to you. I don't mind doing that. But, uh, but like, you know, then you've got to get them. Uh, you're building a bridge to the community, and then you've got your, um, your Sunday morning experience, assuming you're able to get them there. What do they experience when they drive up from the time they drive in? Who's greeting them in the parking lot? Do the visitors know where to go? Do they know where the parking is? Is the parking in a good location? Does anybody greet them when they get out of the car? How do they know which entrance to go to in your, in your church? When you go into the church, is it clean? Is it well lit? Is a welcome center visible? Have you pulled it out so that people can greet them? Do you, uh, have you already on your website identified what to expect when they come? Your website, 80% of people who visit you visited your website. Your website is not for your members, it's for people who are considering coming and visiting you. We deal with it as if it's an afterthought. And they come to that, the new front door of the church, Facebook Live. Facebook Live. Because caller ID and because of um, ring doorbells and so forth, people do not like surprises. They don't want to show it up at your church. They want to see what kind of preaching you have, what kind of music you have before they even come. Do you have a way where they can find that out? Facebook Live is the cheapest way to get a big spread on that right now. So anyway, did, what experience do they have when they come in? When they come in, what is your follow-up strategy with them? And then what's your assimilation strategy? And then after that, what's your discipleship strategy, your caring strategy, and then your mobilization strategy? So you ought to think through those things so, because that's what it takes to take them through what I call kind of a discipleship uh, system is what you're doing. And uh, my uh, belief is that you're only as strong as the weakest one of those. So if your Sunday morning experience stinks, they say that the first three, four minutes they come on your campus, they've already decided if they're going to come back or not. Before they heard the first thing of music or before they heard the first word of the sermon preached, they've already decided that. It's crazy. Discipleship, what was the other? Um, discipleship, uh, caring, did you get caring, discipleship, um, ministry mobilization, and then um, I forget what I call mission mobilization. I think mission mobilization is kind of a circle because as you then getting, get them living on mission, then they are then bridging community, uh, out to the community. So it's a circular so what you're doing is you're preparing your, the people you're reaching. If you take them through the whole thing, then they are now reaching people, which is one of the definitions of a disciple. Is someone who else who makes disciples. But, um, and then the third one is put yours together in a leader playbook. Surely you've got somebody who's gifted and knows how to do that or can do that. They're organized enough. So get together your leadership playbook or handbook, whatever you want to call it, for uh, your church. And then the next thing is, don't you just love this? This is the draft chalkboard back in the day. 
So this is who they're going to get from Ohio. There's somebody from Georgia. I don't know who it is. Kinsey, Lindsey, it's not Lindsey. It's not the one you're thinking about. Who beat Florida? Okay. Um, so now you got to identify the right people. But you can't identify the right people until you have the job descriptions identified and uh, described. Then you meet in person explaining the description and the expectations. As I mentioned to you, this works at a Sunday school level and at a church level. Uh, first of the year, we'll have new uh, finance and personnel committee. Those are our two key committees. And before then, we will, uh, senior pastor and I will sit down with those with individuals over lunch and we will talk to them about our expectations of a person in that position. This is what, and if you cannot live with this, then this is not a position for you. So, and by the way, you give them how long to do it. One of the fears in church work is that once a person says yes, they're afraid they're going to do it the rest of their life. So uh, it is good to actually have re-ups. We're just afraid to have re-ups because we're afraid that we're giving them an out for next year and then would have to recruit more people. But you've got to give them the opportunity. All right. And then... Uh, after you have leadership positions identified, defined, you have key leaders, then I would recommend holding a ministry workshop or retreat. I have brought y'all some, some of y'all may have seen this before. Um, oh man, have any of y'all heard of place? Place, yeah, it's like shape, place. Rick Warren does shape. We do place. This is a, for example, this is where it's an assessment to help people understand their personality, their spiritual gifts, their passions, um, so that they can see how God wired them and how that can be used in a particular ministry position. Now, Should you, and now here's the thing, is it like you're going like, wow, that's a great tool, but I don't know how to do it, and I don't know have anybody who else who can. Well, listen, I've got a lady who I asked before I came here if she would work with any of you churches that wanted to do it, and she said, of course she would. And uh, she's on my staff, so um, um, there are people out there, there's probably folks on, on the GBC staff uh, inversed in this as well, but what you do is you, you get folks together, you feed them Mexican barbecue, whatever is popular in your, in your church, and so you get people out. You kind of have a party atmosphere. People love to self-identify. So what this does is it takes them through discovery of how God wired them. Place stands for personality type, using the DISC personality type, spiritual gift, inventory, their abilities, their passions, and their life experiences so that it leads to what God has equipped them to do in a leadership service position in the church. You have to, and this is basically my key tool for ministry mobilization. It's one I've thought through 
and I go ahead like tomorrow, Sunday, we'll have a Discover Burn Hickory class to invite those that have been visiting or newer members, and I will teach them what we're about. I'll go through what it means to be Southern Baptist. I'll go through salvation, baptism, Lord's Supper. I'll go through um, how we do ministry. And then I will have CJ is her name. She's from, uh, from England. I'll have her get up, explain this. We'll give them a code because now we do it online versus paper copy. And uh, we'll go ahead and start out right away that they are just to begin exploring how they're wired and what kind of, of uh, leadership service positions that they may serve in. We tell them the first six months, we don't want you to. We want you to, to, to build relationships and learn us and we get to learn you. But we begin day one with helping them understand that God has wired them a certain way for the body. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Romans 12. Um, what I do here is I would have all of the people together, invite them. It's a, almost a prestigious thing because you have invited each one face to face. You just didn't send out an email or, or have somebody else do it, but you asked them if they would consider doing that. And then, once you do that, discover, take them through the discovery process. And then, what you do is that there is a unifying effect in this conference, whatever. Once you get them to discover and so forth, then you begin unifying them in the same direction. This is where leadership, vision casting comes in. It's like, hey, this is where we're going. We need every one of us. And this is where you focus in on the teachings that Paul had on uh, the parts of the body and how it takes all of us in the same direction. And then you go ahead and make plans. You give them input. Don't, don't force them. Break off into table groups, whatever, to talk about you know, ideas, plans. And then spend time in prayer. Spend time in prayer. That way you've kind of got everybody on the same, uh, on the same page. And then number six is the execution of the overall plan. So there's a lot of preparation, probably 80% of it is preparation, 20% is execution. The problem is we like to leave out the preparation and jump straight to the execution of asking somebody. So let's talk about then, if you're going to start a leadership culture in your church, you have to focus in on it on Sunday mornings. If you don't give Sunday morning attention to whatever it is you've given to them, then you've told them and it's not really important. So you need to in some way have some emphasis on Sunday mornings. For example, this may be a weak example, but like our deacons, we use them as the scriptures teach, which is a serving body, not a ruling body. You know, Baptists, one of the things about our polity is that we're, we'll use them as elders. And, uh, and the uh, Bible doesn't teach that they are elders. You know, elders rule and teach, deacons serve. So we have godly men serving, but they're influencers throughout the life of the church. But you know, for example, I equip them to do our decision counseling, some other key things. Of course they do the, uh, whether it's the Lord's um, Supper or baptism and so forth. But on Sunday morning, I've given them 
the opportunity to be down front with, for decision counseling and a number of those things. In Sunday school, I talked about, in my last break off, but I really think that we need to shake up the time that our teachers have in their class. Currently, we think it's all about teaching and anything not about teaching takes away teaching time. And um, uh, I was close to this, but Alan Taylor, back in the day from Woodstock First, shook me up on my thoughts a little bit and I went with it and it worked. It's the way Woodstock has done it since they were a little church to where they are now. In there, this is an hour, you start out with fellowship time designed, you've got name tags, you've got refreshments, you've got greeters, and I know you scale it. If you've got only five people in your class, that's okay. You just have one of them bring something and one of them be a host or just whatever. You scale it. It's scalable. Then you go in and you give your outreach leader uh, a time before the class so that it affirms him or her in their role. And they either give an update or they do some kind of, uh, they bring some thought into it, like how to reach your neighbors during this holiday season. Uh, uh, you can give them a certain gift, a devotion, whatever it may be. You have your announcements there, but hold up on your, tea, on your prayer time. You go ahead and teach, and then you break into your care groups. Now, what that would do is it would call for some of you churches to go and move to care groups. You don't have to do away with deacon families. Deacon families are good, but it's not the best because you're really not caring week in and week out. Um, so what uh, Alan uh, convinced me to do was uh, to hold up prayer requests and then after teaching, break into care groups and have prayer time there. And um, so that actually begins equipping your care group leaders. So what you do is you have people responsible for each one of these, and then you are actually reproducing yourself because you have an assistant. I got two younger guys right now that I'm developing, and it's hard to sit there. I got one I'm teaching Sunday. It'll be hard just sitting there while he teaches because I'd rather be teaching. But I'm developing them, and they're going to be great teachers, and that's that's the main thing, and it's that's that's scriptural. So look at how you use in Sunday mornings. And then to continue a culture, you can't just, a lot of people organize and then they wonder why it doesn't work. It's because there's no culture, there's no follow-up. So if you organize, you have to have monthly, at least monthly meetings. You know, what would be be in business? Well, y'all aren't in business, but... What would businesses be if they hired somebody and then they, and nobody ever met with them? To, it would be chaos. Well, that's what we got in churches today. Is that now we used to have weekly workers' meeting. I kill people. Uh, I, when I was at Snellville and they asked me to sign something to be in weekly workers' meeting, basically I said, "Listen, I've got three small children. We're involved different places. I'm commuting downtown." Uh, the meetings I've been to, you're just going over information. You can email that to me. I, I, that's not a good use of my time to be there. I need to have a purpose. But what you do, like for example, on a Sunday school level, I mean, I've given you maybe an agenda. 
on a Sunday school level, you start out and you have your leadership team together that I went over a minute ago on that org chart. You give a report as teacher on what's coming up. And then you have the outreach leader give a report. And they need to be prepared beforehand to do it. And then you get a report from whoever's leading your fellowship. And you go ahead and have the calendar and you plan out the next six months' activities. And then you get the head of your caring ministry and they update how the care groups are going and then you look at the rosters and see who in your class need prayer or ministering to or missing in action and have we reached out to them or not and then what you do is as a class you take that roster and you pray over the people in the class now if you've recruited people You've given them what you expect of them. And then they know that there's a monthly time set up that is a good use of their time to go over it. And they have an accountability checkpoint at that time. Accountability is good. I learned that when um, I uh, uh, joined Weight Watchers one time. And I learned uh, that accountability is really good. First time I went in, I had one of my accountability partners. He played college ball at West Georgia. But we go in, we wanted to first make sure they knew that we weren't a pair. So we had to talk low and not walk too closely together. Uh, and then these ladies, you know, they're emptying their pockets and taking off their shoes. And we're just, before they weigh in, we're just laughing. But we, so we bought like a six-week deal or something to learn how to eat healthy. Well, by the third, fourth week, we went to the market. Hold my wallet. <laughs> because there was a day of reckoning when you stood up on the scales. <laughs> so accountability, it's good. It's positive accountability. Okay? But it's also a very unifying time and uh, to keep everybody focused on one team. Now, so meet monthly. And then here's, here's another thing we don't know how to do in church work. Once somebody's in a position and they're doing a poor job, we don't know how to get rid of them because we're not paying them. <laughs> and if it was in business, you're paying them and you could just fire them. But you can't just fire them. So what you do, I've found this to be brilliant. It's really not brilliant. I mean, it's so simple it's brilliant. But what you do is you tell them when they take it. Say, well, let's do this. In six months, let's sit down and, and you've given them a job description, and then we'll just get the job description. This is before they start, so you're not even, you, you're, it's not pointed at them. And you say, at the end of six months, let's sit down, and then let's see how you felt about accomplishing what needs to be done in that position. And you go ahead then, you set the date on the calendar, then you write it in. You don't wait until they're doing a bad job, and then say, hey, we need to have breakfast or lunch. Tacky. And then you don't know how to bring it up. So then you just leave them in place. I think it's worse because everybody else knows you're not doing it. And then it just erodes from there. So you ask them to self-evaluate after six months. I've found that 95% of people who aren't doing the job as volunteers will step down because they know they're not doing a good job. You just have to set up the system to allow them to do that. We just don't do that in church. We're just so glad somebody took it. We just hope they, we say a prayer over them and then hope they do good. The other thing is to develop a leadership culture, make sure everybody has an assistant. Because if I'm out, 
Somebody need, I don't need, nobody needs to scramble for it. They need to automatically have somebody who's been working with them who steps in their place. That not only provides continuity, but then it begins multiplying. Because what happens is you keep growing your organization. So you keep growing the number of service positions you have so that you can allow more and more people to serve. And then after a while, they get pretty good at it. And then, whoop, okay, I'm, I'm one step ahead. Uh, I've built in here that you do it quarterly. It could be semi-annual. I've got that down to like semi-annual now, two a year, uh, to where I do August and then I do January, really. And then in like May, in, in, in August, I do something to instruct the new ones how to do it. In January, I do something motivational. And then in May, I do something of great appreciation of all of them. So I've got those on the calendar already. That's part of your leadership culture that you're setting up. Okay? And what you do is bring in somebody from the outside. I mean, like me. Or if you don't want me, I can point out some other guys that I know who could come in and do stuff for you. Why not? Do it. I mean, take advantage of somebody. The fact is, they'll listen to somebody else better than they will you anymore. Just, you know, Jesus said it, right? Yeah. So, now, after you get a culture going, then people want to use their gifts, and then you can begin multiplying your units. You've got to, a healthy organism multiplies. A healthy organism multiplies or dies. And so that's a good, um, actually it's a good indicator if you are growing new units and leaders, you're healthy. If you are not, then you're unhealthy. I mean, that's pretty simple. But if you're not growing them, it means that people don't have your vision. They don't have a shared vision. Begin a culture of leadership. Oh, the final, the final one is you got to celebrate. I've found that in the Old Testament, look at all the times that God puts in place for the children of Israel to celebrate. They celebrated everything. That was a part of God's rhythm of life for them, is to celebrate those times. We still celebrate Passover today, same Passover we're studying in Scriptures. And I found that Baptists aren't very good at celebrating. Because that's too much like partying, and that's a Satan, that's a devil. And uh, so we don't even know how to have a good time. Well, we do. We can have a covered dish or whatever. But uh, celebrate every victory along the way. Hear stories. Did I put any of that in? Let people give Sunday morning times to testimonies, to stories, uh, to come along and to tell life change that is happening. Stories, I was with Dan Cathy uh, not too long ago. And Dan said that he was putting everything into stories. He said, if you'll go and you'll look at websites, what was it he said? Every store has websites, and on the websites you'll see stories. He said they were getting, a, he was getting a coffee contract from some poverty-ridden country, and he was going to put the story of where their coffee came from. They were getting tables that had been redone by reformed convicts or something and they were going to let them put their story on the underneath part of the table. I don't know, he was going way off the deep end on this. But I noticed that the whole title of our uh, of this Georgia Go is around storytelling, right? 
Yeah, stories are powerful. Stories are powerful. So use it in that way. All right, that's my contact info. That's my uh, email address. That's my cell phone number. And so um, I would offer myself any resources I have, I will gladly share them with you. If it's files, if it's Word documents, hey, I'll send them your way. I don't care. Just change the logo or the title or whatever you want to do. You don't even have to give me credit. If you need um, me to point out some other resource people that may be helpful, just like if you wanted to put together some type of uh, deal, uh, hey, CJ would be glad just to have a conference call with you or a call, just whatever, or somebody in your church, whatever would be helpful. You got it? So, but uh, hey, this is an area that, um, but again, you can't do it by yourself. You can't go it alone. That's the deal. So you have to have some like-minded people around you to make this happen that have a shared vision. Um, but after you start getting everybody on board, um, it's, it's a good thing. It's, it's enjoyable. It's good. It's, it's fun. It should be. All right. Um, well, it's time to wrap up. Y'all look actually pretty good. I think I've only had one nod off since I've been talking. That's not too bad. And uh, so that's good. Y'all coming back? Are you coming, being a part of the conference tomorrow? Or are you going home and staying there? I'll come back. I'll be back. I am so impressed with you guys' dedication. I mean, I really am. Uh, the earlier group in here, they are all coming back too. That's so awesome. That speaks very highly of you and your desire for God to use you. Let me, let me close in prayer and then y'all have a good evening. Father, we know that um, what we just talked about, we saw so true in your life was that you had three years public ministry and you poured yourself in others so that as you ascended, you had them to the point of moving forward and then on top of it all you have equipped us you've empowered us with the Holy Spirit with your very spirit to infuse what we do and what we say and how we lead and uh, may we lead out of that Father I pray each person here I know when I come to things like this I just I look for one nugget just one nugget to take back with me that could make a difference and I, and I pray that Something we've said may spark one thing that could lead to some really cool things, Father. Be with each one of them. Redeem the time they have spent here this evening. Give them good rest tonight, Father. Take care of their families and uh, keep us safe, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ray.